So we're starting a new series today. Um, if you've if you've only been here a short period of time, I look out and I see a lot of people who predate me by many years. But as you've gotten to know me, uh, you may have noticed that I tend to uh, plan a series of messages rather than individual messages. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One of them is that by having by knowing that there's going to be another message to follow on, I'm not as tempted to try and cram everything I could possibly fit into a sermon. So hopefully they're easier to understand, and maybe they're even shorter too. Um, so that's one thing. But the other thing is an acknowledgement of the reality that people don't always attend uh, a church every week. I don't know if they ever did, but in my experience, most people have got other things they're doing. They're traveling. They're out of town. They've got family circumstances. They can't come to church. And by by working in terms of series rather than individual messages, it gives people context so that uh, if they miss a week or something, they have a better idea of how that fits into to the things that they're hearing that day. So uh, I do tend to work in terms of series. And sometimes the series are are on particular topics, that we're looking at kind of what does Scripture teach us about this particular topic. And then we look at more of a survey across a number of different Scriptures. But sometimes we do a deep dive, and that's what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks. We're going to be looking at the beginning of the, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And there's there's a couple of reasons for it. It's it's a great letter, um, you know. All the letters in the Bible are great, you know. Um, every child is above is above average um, in the Bible. Uh, there are no bad letters in the Bible, but I particularly like the the letters um, that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, they're not the longest letters that Paul wrote. Um, uh, the letter to the Romans is actually a longer letter, but there's only one Romans letters, and there's two Corinthian letters. So so we we have a, a better feel for all of Paul's uh, thinking about the topics that he's addressing. The other thing is that uh, the letter to the Romans was to a church Paul didn't know. I mean, he knew about it, but he didn't know it personally. So he was writing it kind of to introduce them to his theology, to say, I'd like to share what I what I have um, learned about Jesus, and I want to share that with you. So the, the letter to the Romans is, is very much a, a theological letter, whereas the letter to the Corinthian church, uh, it is a church that Paul founded himself and had spent a great deal of time with. Um, church, Paul, Paul traveled all around the Mediterranean region, and he founded churches in, in Asia Minor and in Europe. But of the European churches, Paul rarely spent much time there. Typically, he would be chased out of town after a couple of weeks with a mob kind of angry at him for, for what he was teaching. And in the case of Corinth, he actually was able to spend 18 months there. So he had a deeper, uh, longer-lasting relationship with the, the church in Corinth. And then when he moved on, and he wrote letters, uh, he is able to deal with, with them at a different sort of perspective than he does in letters like to the church in Philippi or Thessalonica. So it's an interesting letter for that reason. But I think the best reason of all is that uh, the, the church in Corinth was a mess. It was just a messy church. And, and as we, we begin to look into it, we'll see some of the ways that they had troubles. Um, they, they had, uh, they had uh, personality conflicts, um, and I know that never happens in churches today, but there were actually factions that people like this person or that person, they had that in Corinth. Um, they had theological differences. I just came from the Methodist gathering this past week, and I know we never have theological differences within Christian churches today, but they did back in those days. And so, so they have some things there. They had, they had lawsuits, they had sexual misconduct, they had abuses in worship, and the best part about it is because there's such a kind of all-you-can-eat smorgasbord of church dysfunction, 
it, it, it does one of two things. Either, either you say, my church has none of those things. Aren't we great? So you feel good when you read the book of Corinthians, the letter to the Corinthians, that you feel great your church doesn't have it. But the other thing is you say, well, at least my church doesn't have all those things. So you say, well, yes, it's true. We are struggling in this area and I can learn something from what Paul's got to say to them in this area. But fortunately, we don't have to deal with this long list of problems that they have in the church in Corinth. So it's a handy kind of reference guide to church dysfunction and what Paul would teach about it. So it's a useful, it's a useful book to look at uh, for those reasons. And it is so useful that even the beginning where, you know, if you're like me, when you read a letter, uh, I'm often tempted to kind of skip over the beginning because it's a letter. You know how that works, you know, to, from, and, and kind of plunge into, you're kind of getting, trying to get past that fluff and get to the meat of the letter. But this letter is so good that even the beginning, even the beginning has something to teach us about how to be in, in relation in church, but also I think a, a lesson for those of us who have lives outside the church as well. So um, what I want to do is I just want to plunge in and start looking at it, um, beginning in verse 1. So it begins, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. So we don't know much about Sosthenes, but Paul wrote this along with another member of the early church called Sosthenes. Now Paul says, I'm called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He's saying, I have authority to write this. And in fact, uh, we know Paul wrote a lot of letters um, and some of them, Paul uh, uh, had written on, on a number of topics, but some of them the church said, you know, there was more at work in that letter than just Paul, uh, that God was actually involved in that in that letter. And so they would make copies of it, they'd give it to other churches, and over the course of the first couple of hundred years, uh, the, the books we now uh, refer to as the epistles of Paul were actually collected and, and viewed to have the authority of Scripture. So, so Paul's saying, I have the authority to write what I'm about to write. I am an apostle of Christ Jesus. But then he says this, to the church of God that is in Corinth. So Corinth is a city, it's about 40 miles west of Athens, um, and it's a big trading city in Greece at that time. He says, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Now, saints and uh, sanctified... Uh, have to do with the idea of holiness. Uh, there's a word that, that is used uh, interchangeably in the original language, sanctified, uh, made holy, or, or saints. And what it means is set apart for God. When I was a kid, my, my neighbor down the street, his family had a living room that was set apart. And only the grown-ups went in there. I mean, I, I never saw him in that room. Um, and certainly I was not allowed in it. There was the family room where we could play, but the living room was set apart. And Paul is saying... You've been set apart by God. Um, that, that you have a special status. You're not the common family room kind of kind of situation. You are the living room. You know that this is just for God. Um, so so he's saying you are saints. And what's interesting is because he's going to spend the next 16 chapters telling them all the things that they need to fix. But Paul begins by saying, "You are special." And in fact, he says, "You're not just special." He says, "Together with all those who in every place call in the name." of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. He says, He says, you are indistinguishable in God's sight from the people in the most uh, uh, impressive and high-functioning churches it, that, that I know of. That it was Jerusalem or Antioch, all those great churches, you know, Alexandria, the great churches, you are just as much in God's eyes as they are. 
you, you have the exact same status together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that is why Paul mentioned that he was an apostle. It was to say, I have the authority. But also he's saying, this is not about you or what you've done. He's saying, this is about what God has done. He's saying, you were called to this status. So if I'm going to tell you some things about how you need to sort out different things going on in the church, that's fine. But realize, it's not really about you any more than it was about myself. Paul's saying, look, you know my story. I was a persecutor of the church. I was the chief of sinners, but God called me. So so when you hear me tell you you need to fix these things, don't worry about that having anything to do with your status. You are called by God. You are set apart. You are the living room that is that is special for God. You're not just a common family room. And people in other churches, Alexandria, Jerusalem, they, they have no special uh, uh, status before God that you don't have. And then he says, grace and peace to the Lord from, from the Lord, uh, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, because of that, I can, I can tell you authoritatively you have grace and peace from God. And then he begins the letter. Now, many of Paul's letters begin with a thanksgiving. But this one, I think, is particularly useful because remember, the next 16 chapters are all going to be telling them things they need to fix. So look what he says. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him in speech and knowledge of every kind. He says, he says, there are things that are wrong in your church and you're going to have to fix them. But he begins by saying, I give thanks to God always for what God has already done in you. He says, God has already enriched you in speech and in knowledge of every kind. And then he says, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, he says, people can look at your church, people can look at you, and they are more likely to believe the good news about Jesus. The testimony about Jesus has been strengthened in you. He says, you know, for all of your problems, when you might be tempted to despair and say, oh my goodness, we're such a mess, he says, people look at you, and the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you. And he says this, he says, you're not lacking any spiritual gift as you await the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He also will strengthen you to the end, so you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, he says, really, in a sense, it's out of your hands. That yes, there's problems in your church. There's divisions, there's fighting, there's lawsuits, there's sexual immorality, there's all these problems. But God is faithful. God will see to it that you are blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's the beginning of this letter. And I was struck by this because, like I said, I tend to kind of skip over the the, the thanksgiving and the, the to and the from. It's kind of formula, and so why pay any attention to it? But I was struck by this. And I, I would say the lesson for me is that I need to say thanks more often than I say please. I need to say thanks more often than I say please. Um, some of you know I've had a habit for, for many years now of praying for the congregation. Uh, uh, most weeks, not this week actually, um, it was a short week and I had some other things that I took me out of the office. But most weeks what I do is I sit down with a list of all the people who are part of the church and I pray for you. I pray for you by name. I lift up whatever concerns I know. And what I was thinking about this week as I was studying this, I was thinking, I need to add more things to that. Because what I do mostly is I say, you know, this person's going to the hospital, or this person, you know, just 
just lost a loved one or whatever it is I'm praying about, I'm lifting up concerns. And and I intend to go on doing that. But what struck me as I read this is I need to spend more time praying for what God has already done in you and with you. And maybe you do too. Maybe you need to spend more time giving thanks, especially for people. You know, Paul is under no illusions about what's going on at Corinth. And he is going to spend a lot of time telling them the things that they need to put in order. But Paul begins by saying thanks to people who have got all kinds of problems. And if you've got people in your life who've got all kinds of problems, if there are difficult people you know, at work, maybe you should spend some time giving thanks for what God has done in them. Maybe if you've got difficult people at home or in the home across the street, maybe if there's a difficult person in the mirror, you need to spend some time giving thanks to God for what God has already done in them and with them. You know, Paul is clearly talking about the church here. But Jesus reminds us in the Sermon on the Mount, he says that God sends his, um, he causes the sun to rise on the good and the evil. He sends his rain on the just and the unjust. Uh, God pours out his blessings, not just on church people, but on the other people in our lives, the people that, that maybe we wish would be church people but aren't. Jesus reminds us that God doesn't stop blessing people just because they aren't in the church. God blesses everyone. And so maybe we should spend a little more time looking at the way God has blessed the people, particularly the difficult people in our lives. We should spend more time giving thanks than saying please. And finally, I would close with this idea. You know, the church is called to be an agent of transformation, personal transformation and social transformation. We're called to be part of what God is doing to change the world. And so that's going to entail a lot of pleas. Please, God, fix this situation, fix this fix this institution, fix this person, bring healing into this person in this particular area. There's no question that's going to be involved in that. But I wonder if the church has been so concerned about its role as an agent of change that people outside the church only see us in that light. And I wonder, what would people outside the church think about the church if instead of seeing us as, as trying to change things, change things for the better or worse, I don't know how they, how they view our efforts at change. But if they saw us not just obsessed with changing things, but also grateful for what there already is. Imagine if the world could look at the church and say, those are people who are grateful. Those are people who look at me and are grateful for something about me already. They're, they're not just always trying to fix me. That they're grateful for who I am and what I, what I have done. And, and, and I think that's something we as the church can, can be thinking about. Um, how does the world see us? Do they see us simply as trying to bring about change? Or do they see us as people who are grateful for what God has already done? I think we need to spend more time giving thanks than we do saying please. Let's pray. Loving God, we give you thanks 
Not as often as we should. Not as much as we ask for favors. But we do give you thanks today. We give you thanks for this letter to the Corinthians. We give you thanks for a messy church. And we give you thanks for the knowledge that we have been called by you. And whatever problems we're dealing with, whatever problems our churches are dealing with, we have been called by you and you are faithful. So we give you thanks for this knowledge. And we leave the fixing, the, the, the things to be done. We leave them for another day, Lord. Today we just give you thanks. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.